Uh, Duke's now open, apparently. David Cutcliffe and Duke going to part ways. What do we know? And what kind of job is this right now? Welcome to a special episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, alongside Josh Cox, Jamie Holt, and Scott Medlin. And we are, as of this recording, 24 hours removed from the big announcement where Duke University and David Cutcliffe have agreed to part ways. And that was really something that the four of us were, were wondering, really, if and when this would happen. And so, really and truly, this special episode is, one, going to talk our favorite memories about head coach David Cutcliffe as he exits to usher in a new era for whoever our next coach is, but also talk about possible replacements. Who might come in to be, I believe, the 19th Duke football coach? So, fellas, let's just get right to it. David Cutcliffe was uh, with the program, I believe, 15 years in total. Took us to six bowl games. I believe it was six out of seven years, something no Duke football coach has ever done. And let's just get to go down memory lane. Uh, there were a lot of memories these last 15 years that we all like to reminisce about and talk about and enjoy. And I think what better way than to honor Coach Cutcliffe with some of our favorite memories as uh, we usher in this uh, new football era come 2022. Yeah, I mean, pretty pretty incredible to think that um, it's been 14 complete years of David Cutcliffe being here in Durham. And then to just think that honestly, that he was willing to come here as bad as the program was when he showed up, that he was willing to take a chance. There was a risk in his career. Um, obviously uh, the Ole Miss success uh, turned into one bad year and then him being let go there and, you know, coming to Duke, coming off of winless seasons and coming out of those uh, roof years, he took a chance on us. And so we will forever, I will forever be indebted to David Cutcliffe. I appreciate the way David Cutcliffe has a little bit of that good old boy. You feel like he's a guy, if you ran into him at a restaurant or you ran into him out at the grocery store or something, he's going to stand there and talk to you, uh, cut up with you. There's been some really cool stories shared about some of the, um, folks that work in the athletic office and department, kind of lower end employees that he just took a special um, liking to and took care of throughout the years. And so his wife, Karen, their kids, the grandkids, everybody, um, they really did make Durham home. And then obviously on the football field, guys, we know this, and we're going to talk about in a little bit our actual specific favorite moment. Uh, but man, he took us to places we've never been. Um, you know, even in the Spurrier years, it was just different. Uh, he was the, these Cutcliffe years were different, and we put a product out there on, there on the field that our fans were proud of. Um, and you know, unfortunately, we've said this on Twitter, and I'll say repeat it again: he set the standard at Duke, the set the standard for winning. Twenty thirteen was not the standard. Twenty thirteen was just an incredible season. He set the standard, as Brian mentioned, going to six bowl games. And to me, that is the standard over the 14 years that David Cutcliffe has set. And unfortunately, what happened over the last three seasons is that he failed to reach the standard that he had set. And so kudos to him for setting the standard. Hopefully the program will take it and we'll move on with that being our standard, going to bowl games. And then every now and then competing for the Coastal. Every now and then having one of those special seasons. But I know Duke fans, if they're logical, um, the standard is set at bowl games and we would take that happily every year i don't want anything less than a national championship i don't know what, what josh is talking about Cut. i'm sorry guys we just let a unc fan in i'm sorry we gotta <laughs> kick the unc fan out by but the yeah. way i think they're leading the nation in transfer portal people right now so hey way to go tarles but yeah i'm completely i mean grateful to david cutcliffe i mean back when he came i never thought 
that Duke football would get to to where it was to the point where we were Coastal Division champs and we went to the Chick-fil-A Bowl. I mean, that was, I mean, the Chick-fil-A Bowl was one of the most amazing experiences I ever had as a as a Duke fan. I mean, that was just great to the point where even in a loss, I was just, I was, I was at a loss for words. I couldn't, I mean, couldn't put into words how excited I was. Um, and like Josh said, he, he set the standard for Duke, you know, after a 50 plus year bowl win drop, we won a bowl game. And then we won a couple more bowl games under, under Cutcliffe. And then unfortunately these last couple of years, ever since, ever since Daniel Jones left, left uh, a year early have been, has been down. I mean, and it's been unfortunate to watch and we've just seen it go downhill. And honestly, it, if you look at Cutcliffe, he looked like he aged quite a bit over the last two years. I know, I know the COVID season took a lot out of everybody. And I, I know that took a lot out of him. And I know just the fact that the stress of, of not winning and not being able to win the ACC games, the, the, the losses in the ACC games and the 30-point losses in the ACC games, I mean, that just had to be weighing heavily on him. And I hate it ended like this. I still think put a statue out there of Coach Cutcliffe, you know, right out there in front of Wallace Wade Stadium where everybody can see it. Great man, great coach, and we'll always appreciate him. Yeah, um, we were so excited about the hire when we brought him in back in two, earlier. And, man, we had such a great time for about six years there. And we went from 0-12 or 0-11 back then with Ted Roof to we were winning games. We were in games. The fact that we were going to bowl games. And, you know, we've said I, – I don't – I'm sure we've said it on here once or twice, but – as a Duke fan, a bowl game, even every other year, that's a great thing. But the bar, he took the bar so high to where in 2013, we went to the ACC championship and we won the Coastal and we went to the Chick-fil-A Bowl like Jamie was talking about. And for Duke, that was the plateau. I mean, a New Year's Eve bowl game, they haven't done that since uh, yeah, long before we were ever thought of. And we were in bowl games. Fan base was enjoying it. And we traveled. I mean, we traveled well to all the bowl games. I mean, I was fortunate enough to go to two of them. I was able to go to the first bowl game down at Charlotte, the belt bowl. And then, you know, Josh, Jamie, and I, we went to the uh, Chick-fil-A bowl. Man, that was a great experience. It was so much fun just being there knowing that we actually get to play during bowl season instead of sitting at home like the other 40, 50 other teams that didn't have a prayer. But, you know, as we went on, as the last couple of seasons have gone, you can just tell a difference. You can tell, like this, we said a minute ago, by the agent. And, I mean, he says he's got the passion, and who knows? He may go somewhere else and be a great offensive coordinator. He could be a coach somewhere else. I mean, at this point, there's a thousand job openings, and I mean, crap's happening left and right. And if we're not gonna get on that till maybe later, but if we need to go ahead and get on that horse too, or we're gonna be left behind, and we're gonna be further behind than we already were. But honestly, though, um, I appreciate all he's done. Just the clips, and you know, when we were winning games, watching the clips of him going to the locker room and dancing. That brought joy to my heart because as, as anybody, it's almost like a grandfatherly figure just having a great time enjoying life till we go back to two weeks ago when he's standing on the sideline and he looks like he lost his puppy. Like he has, it, it, it's just like, what am I going to do? How can I fix this problem? And I think that's the biggest issue. And I, again, put the statue Name a building or two or three or five after him. I don't care. The man has been that much to our program that he deserves the accolades. You know, and he did make Duke better than it was when he got here. And as a Duke fan, we've been frustrated. But if he hadn't come, who knows? We could still be 0-11 and 0-12 for the last 12 years. 
and basically be, you know, the worst team ever. But he brought us some reputation. We got in the bowl games. We got bowl bids. We got in the top 25. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. So thank you so much, Coach Cook, for giving all the time and effort that you did. You'll be missed. And, I, you know, hearing some of the post-game stuff and times, you know, when we were winning, just the quips and stuff like that and that Alabama draw is always fun to listen to. So thank you for everything that you've done. And we as Duke fans, we really do owe you a great bit of gratitude. My first memory of being a Duke fan, and not a lot of people know this, was I was in Duke Hospital in 1994. I actually cracked my skull at school. Even Scott didn't know that. So here's a did you know, maybe for some of the guys. But I was in the hospital. And the nurse came in and said, well, you're in luck. The, the, the entire team and Coach Goldsmith is here. And I'm like, okay, Duke football. You know, I didn't put two and two together. Might have been the fracture of my skull. But that's the day I became a Duke fan. And I was spoiled because that year they went eight and four, went to the Hall of Fame ball. So I thought, oh, man, what better time to become a Duke fan? And then from 1995 to 2007 happened. But I never waned. I never gave up on the team. I was that guy that, yeah, I think we can go six and six this year. Or I think we can go to a bowl game, much to the chagrin of my family and friends. David Cutcliffe helped me get over that hump with my friends and my family. They asked me, it wasn't just, hey, do you think you'll win a few this year? Hey, do you think you'll go to a bowl game this year for the first time in a long time? And needless to say, Seeing and hearing the stories from current players, former players, Duke employees, uh, family members of former players, shows you what kind of man David Cutcliffe was on and off the field. And I think for us, the four of us, and many of you listening, the disappointment from these last three years, to Josh's point, was because of the standard he himself set. And there, were, there are fans that have argued with us that he should stay or should have stayed because of that success he created. I'm not going to go down that road tonight. This is not what this episode's about. But when you instill that in a fan base, it doesn't matter where you're at, SEC, a ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, that's that level that fans – and administrators expect you to be held at. And I really think the administration gave David Cutcliffe every chance to get back to that. And it just didn't happen. And, and again, we could blame numerous things. COVID, the, the players that came through, maybe even the personnel. We've had all those discussions. But the fact is, now that he has gone off into the sunset and he might land somewhere else, it's not something where, well, thank God he's finally gone. No, it's, it's appreciation, and that's what he should get. And I pray that in the next year or so, who knows, maybe before the end of next season, they unveil a statue for him in the atrium right before you enter Wallace Wade Stadium. That might be, you know, shooting for the stars there, but if Nina King wants to get on Duke fans' good side, she'll make a good hire first and foremost, but she'll have that statue sooner than later for David Cutcliffe. And... I think for the four of us, we've enjoyed getting together, going to these games for the last five years, minus last year. But we want that every year. We want that bowl game every year. And I think that's not too much to ask in this day and age for football. 12 games, when half of them, you go to a bowl game. And David Cutcliffe, I mean, for the most part, did that six out of the seven years. So, yeah, it sucks that it ended like this. It really did. But it needed to happen. And we also need to acknowledge what, what he's done. So, like everyone else, Coach, thank you for all you did. Thank you for showing us what this program is capable of being, where we can be, and where we hope to stay with our next coach, whoever they may be, that comes in for next season. But before we transition, and we talked about it at the beginning, each of us is going to give our favorite memory of Coach Cutcliffe whether it be a play, a speech, a moment in a game. We just want to reminisce really quick before we have to ultimately move on. 
we have to move on to the next coach of Duke football. So I don't know who wants to start. Um, Scott, I'll let, or Josh. Okay, Josh, you go ahead and start, and then we'll just go around. And uh, we actually have the clips of our favorite moments. Justin, thank you for uh, finding all of this, and enjoy. Yeah, so back in the Chick-fil-A Bowl down in Atlanta, Duke is taking on Texas A&M. And here is my favorite David Cutcliffe moment. Duke goes for the onside kick. They let it bounce. They got a great shot to recover it. I think they did. Blue Devils have it. Oh, this has been such a big part of their team's success all season long. Look at the blocks downfield by 29, allowing Juwan Thompson to jump on that football. You know, that probably wasn't the moment that many of you thought that it was going to that it was going to be. But what I loved about that was we were ahead 35 to 17 against Texas A&M, a team that no one really thought we could beat. Johnny Manziel on the other side of the field, Mike Evans, receiver, um, who's still catching touchdown passes every weekend on Sundays. Um, and. David Cutcliffe is up by 18 points. There's less than three minutes left in the first half. And what does he do? We run an onside kick. Now, the only way this could have been better was if we would have actually scored a touchdown afterwards. Now, we did kick a field goal, and we went into halftime. Instead of up 18, we went into halftime up 21. But why is this my favorite David Cutcliffe moment? It's because it was plays like that, especially during that season, but even before and after that season, it was that kind of like, let's just do it, man. Let's go for it. That's what I loved about David Cutcliffe. There was a little bit of this no fear attitude in him uh, during those glory days that I felt like we could do whatever we wanted to. If we ever ran a fake, if we ever did anything trick wise, it worked. And we've seen that happen over and over again during the successful seasons. And so my favorite David Cutcliffe moment is in the second quarter on the biggest stage Duke football has ever been on almost 60,000 fans in that stadium, two minutes, two and a half minutes to go in the half. And he onside kicks it. My man, David Cutcliffe. We still should have won that game. Oh gosh. Anyway, I am going back to the pregame of the first bowl game for Duke since 1994, the belt bowl against Cincinnati. And this is one of coach Cutcliffe's memorable pregame speeches that they actually caught on camera where an infamous phrase was made that Duke fans will know and repeat a lot or have repeated a lot during Coach Cutcliffe's tenure. So I want you to enjoy this quick clip of the pregame speech or part of it that Coach gave to the players in the locker room before the game. Harder than they want to play. I'm going to tell you what this thing really comes down to. Five years, four years, when we took this job, I was so proud, and we were out recruiting, out there hunting all you guys. Here you all are. Had <coughs> I wanted Duke football, you asked Pickle on everything. Then won't just Duke. Duke football, Duke football. Every airport I was in, somebody was going to come by with a joke. Oh, y'all got a football team? Oh, y'all really play football at Duke? I heard it, and I heard it, and I heard it. All it did was fuel the fire. Fuel the fire. Yes, Wanted to find you and you and you and you. We recruited a great bunch of people here. Outstanding athletes. Outstanding athletes. Does Duke play football? Yes, sir. You're damn right we play football. But don't disappoint yourselves. This is that opportunity to make that statement with, with the people as Mitch told you, you were chosen. You were chosen for a reason, on and off the field. You got a statement to make. You've got a statement to make. Well, we chose you for a reason. Let the reason be seen. Lead the way, seniors. Duke football? Hell yes, it's Duke football. Let's go. I don't know about y'all, but that speech just fires me up listening to it today because everything Coach said 
is what we as Duke fans say to everyone else. UNC fans, state fans, oh, y'all have a football team? Didn't know that. I thought y'all were a basketball school. And from 2012 to 2018, I could easily look at them and say, hell yes, it's Duke football. Because we actually were able to beat those teams, some pretty handily. And the fire and the passion that he had showed me that night that he was invested in this school and making this team as good as it could be. And it proved the very next year when they went to the Chick-fil-A Bowl and surprised a whole lot of folks going 10 and 4. So that speech will always resonate with me because of Coach Cudcliffe's fire, passion. It took him five seasons to get Duke to a bowl game, but boy, when he did, I think he let it all out in that pregame speech, but that's my favorite memory of Coach Cutcliffe and the uh, pregame speech before the Belk Bowl in 2012. My favorite memory of David Cutcliffe is from the Pinstripe Bowl, 2015, Duke versus Indiana. And it's really the whole game. But here is a short clip from that game. From 38. On the way. And it is no good. And the drought is over for Duke. Duke wins a ball game for the first time since 1961 if, if it stands up. It went over. It went too high, right? That kick was above the upright, not reviewable. The officials have left the field, and Indiana comes up three points short, and Duke wins it 44 to 41. It was My moment is a moment that a lot of fans from other schools might take for granted. You know, SEC schools, I mean, Clemson and the ACC, Virginia Tech and the ACC, they go to bowls every year. They win, they win a lot of bowl games. But at Duke, Coach Cutcliffe was in the middle of bringing a new culture to Duke football. We had been to three straight bowl games, but unfortunately we had lost all three. So Duke was in the midst of over a 50 year bowl losing streak. Of course we hadn't been, but in a handful of bowl games during that stretch, but you get my point. They were all losses. Our last bowl win was in 1961 in the Cotton Bowl. On December 26th of 2015, Duke played Indiana in the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium, and it was a great game, just back and forth. The two teams combined for over 1,000 yards. Not much defense, as we've come to know and love of Duke football. It was a really fun game. The game ended up going into OT with Duke up three on a field goal by Ross Martin. Indiana got the ball, and here's where the controversy starts. Or whining by Indiana fans, whichever you want to call it. I think it's more whining by Indiana fans because there was no controversy. Indiana missed a field goal and they lost. If you're listening, Indiana football fans, I'm not sure if there are any Indiana football fans, but if you're listening, it was a loss. Duke broke the football, the bowl streak. They won the pinstripe bowl game. And that's my favorite cut cliff moment, breaking a 50 year bowl losing streak. And to my uh, neighbor and buddy Casey, who is an Indiana alum, I'm sorry, man. We had to bring it up. It just, it is what it is. Sorry, Casey. Casey, you're a basketball school. Sorry. To kind of follow up on Josh's favorite moment, um, and still to this day, I hear this voice in my in my head as Duke was winning in the first half, enjoying ourselves there at the Chick Fil A game. In the second half, when Manziel started balling out. There was this little dude in front of me yelling, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. I so wanted to slap the taste out of that dude's mouth, and he would not shut up. So then when I first started leaving, the whole – we were actually in the in Texas A&M section where me and my wife were. Yeah, they had fun at my expense. But anyway, um, my favorite moment uh, from Cutcliffe era is the moment where Jamison Crowder – does what he does. Renfrey has time. Throws. Caught. Jamison Crowder. Touchdown, Duke. Wow. 
One of the biggest plays in Duke history. And sitting in the Carolina section that day with some of our friends that are in our fantasy league, it was so much fun to watch them sit there with jaws on the ground as Jamison Crowder's running around strutting. And just as soon as the game ended, watching thousands and thousands of people rush the field and have a good old time, it was awesome. And that to me is really when I think Duke football started distancing itself from the Ofer days to where we actually became a commodity and became something a whole lot better than we ever thought we would be. And that was when we started the rise. And honestly, man, beating Carolina the couple first three or four years, three or four years when we had cut, that was great. It was so wonderful. But, you know, things happen. And it's okay. At least, you know, we got we did lose to Carolina this year, and it was very sad. But, hey, we didn't blow a lead with about two minutes to go and lose on an onside kick where the guy was trying to jump out of the way of the football, and it landed on Chris Dunn's arms. So, hey, that's the best six-and-six six mediocre Heisman team you'll ever see in your life over at Chapel Hill College. Go Pack. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, guys, um, some awesome memories of Coach Cut. And on behalf of the podcast, we love you, Coach, and thank you for the 14 years. We do want to now transition um, to a very important um, next step. And as you, if you've been following college football, you know that these next steps have to be taken quickly. Things are going crazy. In fact, we are um, recording this, and there's been breaking news as we're recording, right before we're recording, and things that are that are going to maybe even trickle down um, and affect what we are going to talk about tonight. So listen, this is going to be released on Tuesday, and there could be some things we say that are already outdated. That's just the way it's working. We're not going to talk tonight about the transfer portal. We're going to save that for next week. Duke has currently got three players in the transfer portal. We won't even talk about it tonight. That will be on next week's podcast. Let me do this. <clears throat> uh, got permission from Adam Rowe of the Devil's Den, our friends at 24-7 Sports. The Devil's Den and Adam Rowe uh, released an article today with um, some possibilities of Duke's next football coach. Since then, I'm going to read the names that he listed. Obviously, this is an unofficial list. A lot of this is speculation, as Adam would say it is. Uh, but I'm going to read his list. I'm going to give one additional person that I think. And then what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go around and maybe give one or two, you know, maybe they've already been mentioned, but some details about who we would think would be good for this, uh, for our next coach. By the way, we have no inside knowledge. No one does. Anybody who says they have insider info on the next Duke coach is lying. So here we go. Here's the list from the Devil's Den 24-7 Sports. The first one on the list, Mike Houston. Uh, we are seeing right before we began recording, we are seeing that East Carolina is nearing uh, a contract extension with him. Uh, and so Mike Houston, more than likely by the time you listen to this, Mike Houston's name might be off the board. Second one, Marcus Freeman, defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, literally seconds before we uh, went live or, or started recording tonight, we found out Brian Kelly uh, was headed to LSU. Not sure what that means for Marcus Freeman, but there could be some fallout. Uh, from there. Third, Mike Elko. He is the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. Mike Elko. Uh, next, Jeff Monken. Not the sexiest pick, but he is the head coach at Army. Um, and he is he is on a lot of people's, uh, if you find lists around, he is on a lot of them. Next, Sean Clark, head coach at App State. Um, and he would he could get quite a pay raise uh, if he came to Duke. A uh, familiar name uh, rounding out this list from Adam Rowe and the Devil's Den is Jim Knowles. He is the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator. He's the former defensive coordinator at Duke. Um, and uh, he would he's the only one on the list that really has uh, Duke ties. And so those are the names that were on the list from the devilsden.com. Um, there is no official list. Obviously, Duke's not put out anything. Um, a couple of names that are missing from the list, I'll give one of them. I'm sure this other name will get brought up, but I'll give one. That's Josh Gaddis. Um, now, uh, honestly, this name got brought up to us by a former player 
uh, former Duke football player. But Josh Gaddis is a Durham uh, native. He was born and raised in Durham, went to Northern High School, uh, lived right up off of Roxborough Road, um, knows Durham through and through. He played at Wake Forest, which I think is interesting because he kind of – Duke and Wake Forest are similar schools. You know, They have high academic standards. They're small private institutions. So he understands how that works. He has local ties with recruiting, uh, with everybody he has met through Wake Forest and through playing high school football here in North Carolina. He then went and did some coaching at Alabama before becoming the offensive coordinator um, at the University of Michigan. And so um, at the end of the day, I, I think he at least needs a look. He's not made it on anyone's list per se, but Josh Gaddis would be one uh, that I would look at. And so uh, here's what we'll do is we'll, um, we'll talk. Uh, each guy will kind of bring up somebody, and then we might interject. Uh, once again, let us be clear. We have no insider knowledge. We're simply talking about possibilities of who could possibly be the next guy. We understand dominoes are falling. We understand we're not going to be first on anyone's list, more than likely, that we may get a coach as a result of another coach, as a result of another coach. We understand that. So, guys, let's talk a little bit. Who are you looking at, even on the list that I mentioned? Maybe someone not on this list. Um, who are we looking at as possibilities? My favorite on the list would be um, – would have been Mike Houston. <laughs> but, like, uh, with the with the potential East Carolina pay raise, and I had heard somebody mention upwards of $2 million per. I mean, doesn't look doesn't look good. Um, I, also, I also really liked Marcus Freeman. He was – and they were kind of my top two, um, along with along with uh, Clark from uh, Appalachian State. And I'm not I'm not sure about Munkin from Army. Like it's just one of those things. Like if if he's willing to to not bring the triple option to Duke, then I'm I'm all for it. I mean he's he's 54. He's got a proven winning record. But like the triple option, I just not a fan of it, and I'm not sure that I would want to be sitting through that. Um, another guy I was looking at earlier when I was just kind of researching like mid-major coaches, uh, I came, I was looking at Jason Candle for Toledo. He's 45 and 26 overall at Toledo. He's 42 years old. Um, he got some interest over a couple of years for coach, um, but he never has left Toledo yet. And I just think it's, somebody that we could potentially reach out to. Um, other than that, I've heard p people mention Skip Holtz. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure if you want to go there, but I mean, he's got an overall winning record and has won everywhere he's been. So that's another guy that you could throw out there. It's just one of those things where Duke is just not going to be get the top guy, and we're just going to have to understand that. Um, I don't really want Jim Knowles. I'm not a fan of that, but it is what it is at this point. I'm not the one making the decisions. Can, can I speak to that, to, to the Jim Knowles thing? Yeah. Um, in football, there are position coaches who are hands-on with the players. They know a position very well. They're a DB coach. They're a secondary coach. They're a linebacker coach. They're in the trenches with these guys. They're doing drills with these guys. They're hands-on with the players. There are coordinators who are hands-on with those coaches. And they're developing the scheme, the overall schemes for the week. Then they may highlight the D-line, and they may go work with the D-line for a week. They're also more hands-on with the players. The head coach, and I think if we had a player on here that would be honest, the head coach really is the CEO. He's the ego manager. He's the one who makes sure the coaches aren't pissed off at each other. He's the one who makes sure there's no big – things going on among the players and, 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 and any, any kind of issues with their attitudes and whatnot. He's that guy. And so my opinion about Jim Knowles, and I believe as Brian pointed out, I believe six years, he was at Colgate, only one winning season as a head coach, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Cornell, 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 Cornell. Sorry. Um, at the end of the day, I feel like a guy like Jim Knowles knows that he's a coordinator. He knows he's a defensive coordinator and, and maybe if Duke came calling, he might would give it. But I believe a guy like that would do better off staying with defense. That's just and, my opinion. And, guys, I just saw this article. Uh, new Florida head coach Bill Napier is trying to get Knowles to come to Florida. So, 
Do you want to be the head coach at Duke or do you want to be a defense coordinator at Florida and probably make the same amount of money? Yeah, I was going to say, like, they're going to pay – they're going to pay probably almost – at least almost as much as we can pay our head coach. So, like, I think that would be kind of a no-brainer. I'll, I'll go next. I mean, <clears throat> I am all about dollars and cents when it comes to football, as are schools. Let's be real. And while you guys were talking, I did my Google search. And all these guys are a legitimate shot we could hire because Coach Cutcliffe – was making 2.6 million. Um, so I'm just going to throw that out there. Scott, you can, you can, um, you can, you know, indulge on it too. One guy that I'm kind of surprised that has not been on the list is a man who beat us the very first game of the year. And that's Will Healy at UNC Charlotte. We're talking about someone who in his first year at Charlotte took the team to a bowl game at 33 years of age. I mean, come on. The kid's young. I say kid, and he's my age. He's actually two months older than me. But I'm I'm very shocked. And I don't, and I was mentioning this to the guys before we started recording. I don't know if there's something going on or if maybe Duke's already reached out to him and he's already getting potential suitors elsewhere. I mean, like Josh said, we have no inside knowledge. But I'm very shocked that he's not even mentioned on any of these lists because one. His annual salary is $755,000 a year. So we could give him a pay raise to bring him and his staff three hours to the, to the east to come to Durham. Um, now, I don't know if Nina's looking for someone more experienced. Wait, wait, three hours. How slow do you drive, Brian? Well, I don't drive like you going 95 okay. after okay, the Charlotte game. That's, yeah. a, that's, a solid, that's just a solid two-hour drive. Is it, is it the statute of limitations? Is that – do we want to bring up the Charlotte game again? All right, anyway. Hey, sorry, sorry. Continue, Ryan. My bad. It depends on what – I like the scenic route, okay? I don't like going on 85. Um, I, I don't know what Nina's looking at. I don't know if she might be looking for someone more experienced because, again, he's only 36 years old going on 37 when the next season starts. But, I, you know – I mentioned this also, and, I, you know, I know Scott's still got to go. We're kind of in that catch-22 as a program. Do we go young and risk that coach getting successful and then going to a bigger football program? See Mr. Steve Spurrier in 1989. Or do we go for that coach who's in his late 50s, early 60s, who we know might only have one or two more coaching Shots left, like Coach Cutcliffe was, and know that he this coach will stay. So I think that's the decision that Nina King has on her hands. But furthermore, how much the donors are willing to pony up for our next coach. But again, to Josh's point, I think Jim Knowles is better as a coordinator. He's proven that. Um, and it shows that he's being courted by another SEC school uh, to come and play or be the coach there. Uh, would love to have Houston, but it seems like ECU knows what they have. So they're going to try to, you know, sign him up and get him uh, to stay at ECU. Jeff Munkin, again, I'm, I'm just echoing everything. If you do the triple option, there's going to be less fans in the stands next year because that is a boring, boring offense. Now, the games might only be two hours long, uh, with, even with TV timeouts, but you're not going to have fans that are excited to come watch football. Um, but, I, I mean – all these are suitable candidates that we've mentioned. But again, I, I think you need to throw Will Healy in there, at least to have an interview to see if he could impress Nina. Yeah, looking at the list, um, you know, basically going to echo most of what everybody else has said. Um, Mike Houston, I mean, just the ties, the local, winning the national championship at JMU, um, actually turning ECU around to where they're bowl eligible this year which they've not been bowl eligible in a long, long time. Uh, Marcus Freeman, I, I, the idea of Marcus Freeman is great. I just don't know if the, we can pony up enough cash for that. Mike Elko, same thing. I really feel the same way. He's a great coordinator. I think Jumbo is not going to let him go, though, out of a &M. So I just don't see that happening. Uh, Jeff Munkin, you might as well go ahead and bury the stadium right now, turn the lights off, tear the place up. Nobody's going to watch the triple option at Duke. You might as well just go and cancel the program right now. Because if you'd have brought Paul Johnson here instead of David Cutcliffe, there would be no Duke football program. There would be no upgrades. It would be 
worse than a high school gym on a Friday night or a high school field. I'm sorry. I Paul, said Johnson, Paul Johnson not only killed his coaching tenure at Georgia Tech, he, he's almost killed Jeff Collins's tenure there as well because he's still trying to recover from that garbage. Yeah, and he's firing. He just fired three guys last night. And then the domino effect there too. Um, you know, Jim Knowles, the best defensive coordinator in the country, hands down, this last couple seasons. And I do believe Florida can throw cash at him, depending on what happens this weekend. And because this weekend's going to be kind of crazy, there is an outside shot, and it's a tiny sliver of a shot. Oklahoma State could be in the top four next week and have a chance for the national title. And that makes the cash flow get a whole, whole lot worse. All about the money, money, money. I mean, I hear Shane O'Max music right now. Money, money, money. Um, Sean Clark, to me, uh, I don't know if he'll leave App State. That's just my personal opinion. Again, don't know anything. Money talks. I understand. Uh, he, I think he actually just got an extension in the last two seasons as it was. And they're playing for a championship this Saturday. So that would be interesting if for some reason Duke was to get him and then that bowl game, that championship game would have two interim coaches since Napier left to go to Florida. Um, there's two other guys that, in my personal opinion, again, don't know squat. I am a huge Jamie Chadwell fan who was not on the list. Now, I know he's going to get calls. I know other people are looking at him. I understand that he is that hot coach. He's winning things at Coastal. He's going to bowl games. He's doing great. They score points. I think with the – no matter what happens with the transfer portal, whoever's left next season and the recruits coming in, they could have a good time with that at Duke. I think it would put butts in seats. I think it would be fun to watch, and it would definitely change the culture. And then one last guy, and I, I – it was in, on one of the lists I saw, and it may have been – something we talked about earlier. I think Bill Clark at UAB would be a great opportunity. Just knowing what he's done at UAB, where he took the program from nothing, took it to the highest level he could, then the donors and everybody decided, you know, we're done with football. And he was able to get to the donors, get them to raise the cash, and now he's brought UAB back again. I mean, the Lord's the only other person I saw that's been resurrected. But UAB is a close second. So that's that to me is a wild card. I think that's somebody that is not a not a big name. He's he's an Alabama guy. And I won't say we could get him on the cheap, but we wouldn't have to give him five million dollars. But to me, Chadwell, that's my guy. Hook the wagons up. I'll go down there and help him move from coastal if I have to, just to get him here in the program. And I promise you would be a whole lot more life in this program than there was if we could get somebody that offensive, in my opinion. Yeah, as a pastor, I'm going to say that's some horrible theology from Scott there, comparing the resurrection of UAB. <laughs> I can't even say it, man. Like, I mean, Resurrection like, of Lazarus. How about that? There you go. That's right, Scott. At least just say Lazarus, man. Come on. UAB was dead. My, my name is Lazarus. There you go. <laughs> Oh man, so 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 let's wrap this part up, guys. So some things that we've thought about that the next coach is going to have to be able to do. The first thing the coach is going to have to have to be able to do is recruit within the academic parameters that are set at Duke University, no matter who the coach is. That's why even some of these guys that are on the list, I look at the places that they've coached and I think they're a whole lot looser with the academic standards than what Duke is. And so that's something we need to think about. The other thing we need to think about is local recruiting. And I don't necessarily just mean North Carolina, but I do mean maybe from Virginia down to Georgia, uh, there needs to be somebody. And as we are learning, it is all about high school coaches connecting with the college coach. That's why they talked about Matt Brown. Why he was so good at recruiting is because he knew every high school coach in every major football a program in, in the state in high school. And that's why he's such a good recruiter. 
And so it's got to be somebody that can recruit within our academic standards, can recruit locally. And then for me, and I don't care how old the person is, there's got to be an energy brought back to the program. And that, you know, so I, I believe Duke goes one of two directions here. They either go the older route with a guy like uh, Monken from, from Army, God forbid, but someone older like that, or we go this young route. And if we go the young route, we have to be ready for them to stay three to four years if they're successful and then move on. And it's just the, the harsh reality of being successful in, in Power 5 football. So we have to figure that out, and Duke fans are going to have to be prepared for that. Um, and so we don't know anything, um, but we, we think these are some names that we need to keep an eye on. And who knows, maybe one of these names will be the person that we hire. But I think we've added some good, uh, some good names to the list for sure. I will say if we go the, <clears throat> the young, young, hot commodity route um, and they do – come in and win at Duke and and get us back on track. I hate to say it, but I'm perfectly fine with them taking another job. Like, I mean, it would be it would be just like kind of a program builder for Duke as well. And then maybe we would be able to get the donors a little more involved in the program and be able to to keep the coach. I'm who knows. Well in in the atypical Duke fan has forgotten this when Cutcliffe was around he almost went back to Tennessee during his heyday and the only reason why he stayed at Duke was because Tennessee only wanted him and did not want his assistance so he said thank you but no thank you um oh, you know my, uh, yeah. that note, can I squelch some Duke fans uh can I say just absolutely no to some some of these names that some fans are throwing out online Might no as well. to Scotty yeah. Montgomery no to Scotty Montgomery we love Scotty. No. Nine and 27 in his three years as ECU head coach. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, no to Derek Jones. Uh, I love Derek Jones, but it looks like Derek Jones might be out of a job uh, coming up at Texas Tech. So no to Derek Jones. Um, I do think a name that, that here, and I, I think Duke fans might need to be prepared for this, and this is probably not going to happen, but they have named Trooper Taylor as interim coach. And I'm not saying that they would hire him on, but if everything else falls out, if all of these dominoes fall and none of them fall in the direction of Durham, we would possibly be with Trooper Taylor as our head coach. Now, take that for what you will. Uh, Trooper Taylor's got a good pedigree. He obviously is a player's coach um, with a lot of energy, but I don't think that's where Duke wants to be. But I'm just saying he wasn't an interim coach. I don't think that would happen, but at least needs to be on the table. Duke fans need to have that in the back of their heads. And no to Ted Roof. Someone in our group posted a picture of Ted Roof, and I did the Jordan meme of stop it, get some help. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's out of fun and joking, but seriously, I mean, let, we've got to be real with this. I understand Duke fans wanting to give former players, former coaches, former you know staff a chance, but you this is a business. This is a business. I'm sorry. There's no other way to put it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, we have to look at past performance. And you can't tell me that you want to bring in a coach who wasn't even successful at another school. Yeah, they might not have had the, the best facilities and whatnot, but if they're not good at a school that might be less than Duke, what's to say they would be any good at Duke, period? Sorry, that, I'm done with that. That's my rant. One more funny one that I saw. And this wasn't from our group. It was from, I think, the other the other Duke football group that I saw this on. Um, somebody mentioned Steve Spurrier. Not Steve Spurrier, Jr. Steve Spurrier. Like, just like what Carolina brought back Mac. And we're going to bring back Spurrier. Scott, do you have anything? This is conspiracy theory season anyway. I mean, you know, earlier I was joking about this afternoon. I know this has nothing to do with Duke football, but I'm going to have fun with it for a second. Um, I was saying that Josh Heupel was going to end up going back to Oklahoma. And then while he's going to Oklahoma, what's the chances that Tennessee reaches out to Cutcliffe now and ask him to come be the coach there? That's a conspiracy theorist thought. But, you know, it is what it is right now. I mean, if honestly, if we were to keep Trooper Taylor, I, it wouldn't be a bad thing. 
he does have he doesn't have any coaching head coaching experience, but he's a great recruiter. He is a player's coach, and every all these kids love him. So, I mean, who knows if he could get some people talk to some of his buddies to come in, and you know, somebody also jokingly said, "Prime time, Deion Sanders." There is no way under the sun. And one other person, and he knows who I'm, he knows I'm going to get on him about this. He sat in front of us the other day. No way under the sun is Jason Garrett going to be the coach at Duke. I don't care what you say. That man, I don't care if he's – him and Coach K live side by side. There is no way that man needs to be our coach. He couldn't coach in Dallas. He can't coach in New York Jets. A Giants, Jets, doesn't matter. They both suck. Why would he come to Durham? I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, you guys are probably wondering what the podcast is going to be like with this offseason coming up. And let me tell you something. With the coaching carousel going on, we're going to be busy. We're going to be bringing you content throughout the offseason. Obviously, uh, this coming week, uh, depending on what happens, if we name a head coach, uh, we'll obviously uh, adjust. But if we have not named a head coach by next week, we're going to give you kind of a season wrap-up. We're going to bring on, if we're trying to schedule our friend J.J. Jackson over from Locked On Blue Devils to come on and talk a little bit about the season wrap-up. We're going to talk about who won uh, the pick'em from the beginning of the season, who won the stats pick'em between the four of us. And then we're going to talk about who won between you guys. So you guys, our listeners, I believe there were 40 of you who submitted – uh, your picks, and so we're going to find out who wins, and we're going to award a gift card um, next week. So we're going to be bringing you content throughout all of this, so stay tuned. Once again, guys, we don't get insider information, but we do try to talk about it as soon as it happens. Uh, follow us as things progress, and we'll keep you uh, we'll keep you posted. So for that, guys, that's our wrap-up. Once again, thank you to David Cutcliffe. Thank you so much, David, your wife, and your family. For all you mean to Duke football, may I say this? Thank you, Nina King, for uh, doing what we we feel like and in agreement with is the best thing for our program. Uh, to every assistant coach who is going to be looking for a new job now, I get it. I understand there's a lot of fallout that takes place. Thank you guys for your commitment to Duke football. We really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you would be ever so kind to give us a five-star rating um, and a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. You can find us on Facebook by searching Duke Football Talk. You can find us on Twitter by searching the handle at Duke FB Talk. For Brian Kennedy, Jamie Holt, Scott Medlin, and our ever-so-talented producer, Justin Sykes, I'm Josh Cox, and this has been another episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 Podcast. <laughs>